0: i introduce Judge Williams. I, I, <laughs> sure. I asked him to do this because uh, if you're, you, I don't know how many postems get them regularly. I send out most of them. But Judge Williams is one of our few judges that sits down and really writes out a memorandum after he finishes the case and explains how he got to this point. Um, most of us are la- lazy. We just like to write guilty or not guilty or, or judgment for the plaintiff. And we, but but one of the few judges that and I don't know how late you work at night. I got emails from you in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, so he puts in a great deal of the time uh, writing these, and I thought it'd be really kind of interesting to to. to to look at the way he approaches a problem, the way he solves it, and the way he puts it in the file, so that if somebody else picks up the file at a later date, there's no doubt. You know, I get a lot of complaints from people that say, How did he come up with that amount of money? You know? I have no idea how he came up with that amount of money. You know, if it was like me, he just reached up in the air and grabbed a couple thousand dollars and put it on the paper. So, uh, Judge Williams, you're up. All right, thanks.
1: And um, I'll sit this way, then I can see everybody, I think. Okay, um, I, I don't know that I have two hours of material, so what, what we're gonna do is, is, is talk about a couple things. I'd like to invite everyone to um, share their thoughts on how they approach, you know, the end of a case. What do you do at the end of a case? Certainly invite uh, Charles to chime in at any time on, on anything. But what I, what I was asked to talk about was, was findings of fact and conclusions of law, and what that concept means. Where where does that come, come from, and things like that. The acronym um, that I use. If I'm, it, you're not going to write something on every case, you're not going to write something wrong on on every one of these cases. If it's a it's a 30 minute trial, you're not writing up you know three pages. No no one does that. Um, but you know the trial. You know you know the ones that take you know, hey, just, uh, here's a handout to with. thanks, now we have a, we we have an expert on, on criminal stuff, (laughs) but when we get to the criminal stuff, we can talk about that, but hey, hey, Hey. good morning, feel free to join us, good morning Charles, but, uh, um, Today's topic is, is findings, of fact, and conclusions of law. Oops. But what, what okay. Toby was talking about, how do I approach a problem and stuff like that? Is the uh, the acronym that a lot of us learned in, in law school or in an undergraduate legal writing class or, or something like that is is IRAC, I R A C, issue, rule, application, conclusion. And and so if you approach something like, you know, here's the issue, you know, issue. This is the law. is is rule, application is the facts to the law, and then your conclusion. And uh, an easy example of that would be um, that common law, say burglary, was the breaking and entering of a dwelling at night time with the intent to commit a felony inside. Those were the common law elements of burglary. And then, at least in Oklahoma, when I was in school there, uh, one of the members of the legislature got his home broken into in the afternoon he was torqued that the guy couldn't be charged with burglary. So the next session we had an amendment to take nighttime out of the, out of the elements of burglary. And that's, that's how our laws are made. Uh, that's, just, that's just how things work. So, but, but so you would say you had a fact pattern like that and you would say, you know, in this case, the, you know, the, the issue is whether or not the defendant committed the offense of burglary. Burglary is the breaking and entering of a dwelling, you know, at night time with the intent to commit a felony inside. In this case, the defendant entered an open door and it was dusk, you know. And then you say, does an open door, is that breaking and entering? Well, actually, it it can be, yes. If you, you, even going through an open door can be breaking and entering, if you don't have any reason to be there. Um, And then you apply that and reach a conclusion, and that's just kind of a simple example how you go through that acronym. What I wanted to, and, the, the reason I, one of the reasons I, I, I type up findings of fact and conclusions of law, I do it after every DUI suppression motion. Um, just because I think it's important that that people know where I'm coming from. Those are something that's going to be appealed. So if the defense does a motion to suppress uh, or, or a motion to dismiss based on something that was allegedly done unconstitutionally, I, I do, you know, you, you, you have hopefully a, a good motion from the defense, a good response, and then a reply, or or depending on how it is, the, the prosecution has the burden sometimes of proving, like a confession, you know, and, and things like that were, we're constitutional. Um, and then you have maybe a 90-minute evidentiary hearing on it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, it's, it's with your discretion. You can check a box on a form that says granted or denied, and let everyone wonder what you were thinking. Um, but it, it doesn't really Help it, it doesn't let the prosecutor or the defense attorney know what's important to you It doesn't let them know you know where you're coming from and are you going to get six more of these or are they going to say Well, this is how he feels about you know a hospital blood draws you know or, or whatever Maybe this isn't our our best deal or maybe or, or, or however you want to look at it but I think it's if, if if both sides have invested like six you know nine hours in a case you owe it almost to them to to let them know what you're thinking and why. I think it's only it's only fair. It also actually helps you on appeal. I think now a, a lot of judges that have been around for a long time will tell you, oh, don't say anything. Just you know, don't make a record. There was a uh, there was a uh, a judge who was somewhat legendary in Tempe um, when uh, a judge asking an attorney asking said, well, Your Honor, just stick to the record while you. You know why you ruled against me because you know I, I intend to appeal it. and the judge responded, "You didn't convince me. Appeal that." Well, yeah, you can you can do that. Um, that's maybe not the best way to approach things, uh, but yeah, you could do that. Um, but I I think it's uh, better to go ahead and write out findings, of fact and conclusions of law. And if you're taking something under advisement in part because you can't figure it out either, and you need to go ask somebody, you need to go look up some case law. Um, you, you had every intention of being prepared that day, but you were interrupted by three red files and you, you actually didn't want to eat lunch. And so you you, you had locked off time to prepare for that trial at 2 o'clock, but that time got eaten by something else. There's nothing wrong with taking an under advisement, looking some stuff up, and then writing. But if, if you got one of these. Um, hey, join us. Uh, Thank you. Some, and, and we've all had these cases where. You know, it's it, it's what I call the nightmare wear and tear, reasonable wear and tear case, where you know you have six exhibits just on the carpet, you know, and then you've got this and you've got this, and, and and one side is claiming one set of numbers, another side is claiming they they both handed you, you know, maybe 50 pages, you know, of, of stuff during the trial. I don't think it's a good idea to just wing that, you know, because they obviously know you haven't read it yet because they just handed it to you. So I, I think it's a good idea to take that under advisement and then I do write up fines and conclusions of law on that because otherwise they don't know where you're, you do, you, you told me you'll get a call and says, well, neither one of us asked for this number. We have no idea, you know, how the, how the judge came up with this damages calculation. And then you, um, so you'll get some kind of weird you know, especially from a self-represented litigant, you'll get something that says, motion to explain judge's ruling. You know, I, I, I think all of us have gotten those kind of, you know, and you're like, well, no. And so you deny it, plus you don't remember it because six weeks have gone by. You don't You don't know how you came up with that number either. You have no idea. Um, so I, I view it as sort of taking notes, and I think having a, a really good, real, really detailed record helps you on appeal because that way the whatever, judge or commissioners getting the case doesn't have to guess what you were thinking and when Michael Jones um, was doing our lower court appeals every time he'd come to a a justice court meeting he was always very positive and he would always say look even if you you rule the right way for the wrong reasons I'm still gonna uphold you (laughs) you know because that that's how it works so don't you know don't be afraid of that kind of stuff but on on findings and conclusions of law there's only one place where in, in the civil thing where there's actually a rule. And it, it's based on a rule of civil procedure. And when we did the justice court rules of civil procedure, we we copied that concept and and, and put it in the rule. So it's the first thing in your handout at A. And it, it's okay if you've never read this rule before. Uh, it, it doesn't come up all that often. But it just it simply says, in a trial without a jury, the judge, if requested before trial, I made 15 handouts, so if we're out of handouts, I apologize. Um, um, in a trial without a jury, the judge, if requested before trial, must make specific findings concerning the facts and conclusions of law based upon those findings. Findings of fact will not be set aside on appeal unless they are clearly erroneous, and due regard will be given to the opportunity of the trial judge to determine the credibility of a witness. Findings of fact and conclusions of law may be stated orally by the judge and recorded in open court following the close of evidence or may be set forth in an order memorandum that is filed by the judge. A request for findings is not required for purposes of appeal. Um, and so that's, that's the rule. So has anyone ever had before a, a trial begins an attorney say your honor we want you
2: to make specific findings of fact. Really? In writing, Richard Groves, oh. the attorney. Okay. Always. He, he hasn't done it to me. Maybe just. In writing it. motion. Oh. Yeah. Uh, before the bench trial. Okay. And I'm flattered that he asks. <laughs> <laughs> I have a diaper case, or we we're, we're,
1: I've got a case where he's the one of the attorneys, and it's it's literally this thick, two two paper files this thick litigating over what over whether or not there was a grass in the backyard so, so that's 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 basically the issue was there grass in the backyard it's a failure to return to security deposit and damage but the, the main issue was grass was there grass in the backyard this thing. Um, other than uh, judge Reagan's experience with with that attorney does anyone else have this, because I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a, a civil attorney say, your honor I want you to do findings of fact and Maybe it happens in, in Superior Court all the time, I don't know, but yeah. Question,
2: Yeah. I have always in civil cases explained after I announced my decision, my judgment, mm-hmm. I've explained why I decided the way I did. And what I was taught years ago, mm-hmm. initial training was I draw a little T Mm -hmm. chart and as the case is going along I put the plus things on the left side for the plaintiff and then uh, you know I put the plus things on the side for the defendant and then I carefully consider all of that in addition to the credibility of the witnesses and things like that and then I tell them Mm -hmm. I tell them why I decided the way I did and it seems that the reaction is one of, oh, shucks, I lost, but at least I know why. And mm-hmm. I've had litigants come up and tell me that, that they appreciate knowing why.
1: Yeah. No, I, I I do this even right. though I've not been asked to do it. Now is no. that a good practice or? Good practice? I, I think it's a great practice. And there's an I have an example later of, of, of verbal what I call verbal findings of fact, although they're typed in your your handout. No. Uh, because I, you can't. There's no way with, with the caseloads that we have. You can't sit down and write, you know. And you don't get during the day. You don't get 90 minutes of fenced off time to sit and write something anyway. You, you'll you'll never have that. Even in, I mean i'll have a, a jury trial go away on a friday, and i'll think cool i've got all I've got a whole day. I can just get work done. No, you get interrupted the entire day and, and by it's like one o'clock you haven't done the thing you set aside to do at nine o'clock it's just it's just a weird freak of how mm-hmm. our our' cause most of us are we try to be customer service friendly and see see walk in see people show up on the wrong day at the wrong time yeah you know, and uh, so, but no, you're, I, I don't want anyone to leave thinking that you you have to do written findings of fact and conclusions of law. Um, but if you're asked to do them, then then you need to do them at least verbally. Uh, the purpose, so says the court of appeals, is to focus the judge on what's important, to you know make sure that everything's uh, clear. And I, I like. I like how they say, and most, most significantly, the most important thing is so the appellate court can figure out what the trial court was doing. That's, that's their take on it. That's not my take on it. My take is so the, the litigants can figure out what the trial court was doing. Also, it, it helps what they call, these doctors called a race to and collateral estoppel. Um, think of those as claim preclusion and issue preclusion. I don't know. The, 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 the attorneys are familiar with those words, but I don't know how much the rest of you are. Um, the reason we have trials is to resolve disputes of fact. And after the trial is over, that dispute of fact has been resolved. And so you can't sue that same person again for the same thing and just phrase it slightly differently or something like that. No, we've already had a trial on that. And that's. And if, if you've taken, if it's a, it's a long drawn out trial, you've taken the time to write something up, then it helps um, whoever is trying to dismiss the, that case the second time saying look we already had a four-hour trial on this we don't need to do this again um and here's you know judge you ruled on this and you're like wow i did rule on this let me read what i wrote because i don't remember it either and and it helps a lot one thing you can do as a as a trick and maybe you can do it with (laughs) with the attorney that you're dealing with there's nothing wrong with requesting that they, sub- the attorney, submit proposed findings of fact uh, and conclusions of law. Um, if you've got someone who is saying, "Well, I, Your Honor, I want you to, you know, issue written findings of fact and conclusions of law," okay, no problem, counsel, uh, if, and he can do this at the pretrial conference. It's it's a little hard to do it, you know, at at the trial step maybe, but um, okay, well, just submit, you know, proposed findings of fact, you know, give them to the other side, and they'll be glad to consider whatever you do. Uh, in military practice, we did this all the time because we wanted, because the judge had to make specific finding of the fact and conclusions of law on, on criminal suppression motions and stuff. So, as the prosecutor, we would, you know, respond to the defense motion. We'd also attach a proposed order for the judge to, you know, deny you know, the defense motion. And by the way, judge, we think these are going to be the facts that are going to come out at the evidentiary hearing. So you can just read from our paper if you want to. Um, I mean, we did that all the time in military practice. I haven't seen it done, but in civilian settings. Yes?
3: And if you're going to do that, you can ask them to submit it electronically as well, so this way you can just cut and paste so you don't have to retype everything.
1: Yeah, better idea. Yeah. And, uh, Yes.
2: Isn't there a process that after one party submits their proposed findings, then the other party has a period of time to
3: submit contraverting findings?
1: They, they could. There's not anything
2: formalized. Is that in the rule?
1: No.
3: Okay.
1: No. But there's, that, that's more like a, a summary judgment analysis, but obviously you can't let one side give you something and not have the other side have a chance to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Yes?
2: If you use the uh, procedure of mediation as opposed to pre-trial um. conferences, can you adopt the same approach of asking them for preliminary findings of fact based on a mediation? Um, if mediation has not been, yes, yeah, you
1: say the mediation fails, and you're yeah. If you want to put uh, in your like in your trial scheduling order, you know this will be set for trial on this day, and parties are free to submit proposed you know findings of fact and conclusions law. I wouldn't do that necessarily on every case because and, I mean you can tell the cases that are coming that are that start to look like they might be a problem but you don't you don't want every credit card collection case you don't want to start getting no findings of proposed findings of fact and conclusions of law and having them bill <laughs> for that that time or in the HOA cases you don't you certainly don't want them <laughs> okay but um the, generally, and, and, and most people know this, that although it, it, it's easy to, to forget and confuse sometimes, if you're appealing a case, you're appealing because there was some kind of legal error, you're appealing because the judge made a mistake, the judge let some evidence in that wasn't, it wasn't supposed to come in, he kept some evidence out that was supposed to be admitted, or maybe the judge, um, maybe he or she did something that just the facts clearly do not support, you know, what happened. But you can't appeal the facts of the case. Once the judge says the light was red, you can't appeal it and say the light was really yellow. And that's that's not something you can really appeal. So the if you, if you have findings of fact, that, I mean, that resolves those issues not only for trial, but as well as on appeal. And like I said at the top, the next page is the case you know, appellate courts defer to that. Whatever your factual findings are are gonna be there. So whatever you decide the facts are, are there. This is why sometimes I, I disagree with this because of the public policy implications, but you'll have appellate court judges say, you know, the trial court is the most powerful judge in the in the whole system. Well, you can argue the trial judge is the most powerful judge, but it, it sure doesn't look that way. Uh, <laughs> on, on a lot of public policy issues. But yeah, I mean, because, if you find the, the stoplight is, is red and they want to say it was yellow, they can appeal that all they want to. I guess the U.S. Supreme Court, the stoplight's still going to be the color you said it was. You know that, that's not. You don't appeal questions of fact. You appeal questions of law. Um, and then there's a, another statute that talks about the scope of review. We're talking about verbal examples. Um, I gave you one at H in the middle of page two. Where and I do this at the end of every landlord tenant trial, I, I do make a because the tenants have to understand that they're just not getting screwed. Yes.
4: Is a finding of bad faith on the part of the landlord a finding of fact or a finding? Of, or?
1: Um, I don't know. I, it's a, it's at, at least a mixed finding. I mean, you're yeah, yeah you're you're because you're. You just mean like an unlawful faith. access or something? or Pardon? Like an unlawful access, or?
4: Well, it, it, I just had a, made that finding a
5: okay. couple
4: weeks ago where the, the general conduct of the landlord has been, in my opinion, bad faith Like the person moved in and checked off the carpet stains and smells and, and uh, moved out a couple months later and the landlord, assessed them for new carpet. Oh.
2: And, and I, to me, that of bad faith. Is I, bad that it's referenced in the it, it's, it's not
1: really referenced. That that's almost more of a just just something that you're saying. You just you th- you feel the landlord or his representative or her representative had no credibility. Um, I, I don't know that I would have used bad faith. Is kind of a term of art, um, but I mean you you can use it. But I just I,
4: wondered whether that's law. Or
1: well, in some areas, it would be law. And like, like this afternoon, I'm going to listen to two insurance attorneys argue um, on a bad, what the jury instruction should be for bad faith insurance uh, claims, where you're suing an insurance company because they did something in bad faith. That's an application of the law. And that's it's more of, a, I mean, it's a factual basis that has a legal conclusion. Yes,
3: and Judge Williams, since you did just throw out the credibility word, Mm -hmm. uh, where you are absolute, uh, you are absolute reign supreme is the determination of credibility, and that cannot be touched on appeal. So, and and there is one instance where um, almost invariably an appeal is going to be based on fact, and that's with a uh, civil traffic because the person appealing doesn't know what they're doing. Um, and so, if you make when you're doing civil traffic, if you're making a finding that the officer was more credible, or the defendant lacked credibility, or the officer lacked credibility, um, that that can't be touched on appeal.
5: Yeah.
1: Although, if you're finding the officer lacked credibility, you're probably finding the, the defendant the not responsible. So. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the state doesn't get to appeal. It's kind of a. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anyway, so my verbal example on a landlord-tenant case, that I said, I'm prepared to make findings of fact and conclusions of law in this case. I find the following. One, the parties are in the landlord-tenant relationship. Two, the defendant received a five-day notice alleging non-payment of rent. Three, defendant has not paid the required rent for the month of May as evidenced in part by plaintiff's exhibits one through three. Four, in weighing the credibility of the testimony, I find the plaintiff's witness to be more credible than the defendant. Five, Therefore, I find that a plaintiff has met his burden of proof and award judgment the amount requested, as well as possession. That took what, you know, a minute, ninety seconds, you know, something like. And if you you say that, not only does it it appeal proof your case, you know, kind of, but it also kind of explains what's what's going on. And it's it's hard. I say. It, it, I, I purposely use legalese a little bit on in weighing the credibility of the testimony I find the policeiff witness to be more credible than the defendant. I'm not going to say uh, I find the defendant was I find the tenant was lying you know you, you, you say that in court you're going to get a reaction from the tenant um, I, so that's I, I sort of hide behind a little little bit of legalese there but I, I think you have to do this and like, like you said if, if you explain, you know what the situation was, um, and I had uh, a case where people this this couple was suing this guy. Um, he they bought a car from him. He gave him one payment, stopped making payments. And then the check bounced. They had no paperwork. You know everything was sort of they, they loaned him money so he could buy a car. That was the fact pattern, and it was. They had massive equity on their side, but the complaint alleged uh, a breach of contract. They present evidence of, of fraud and misrepresentation <coughs> and all this other stuff. He had an attorney, they didn't. I kept overruling the attorney stuff to, to force sort of the case to a judgment point. But I ended up uh, finding for the defendant because they had sued for one thing, their evidence was something completely different, and they even, in fact, fact, in response to a cross-exam, the guy said, oh, no, this isn't a breach of contract case. Well, your, your complaint says, you know, it's a, it's a breach of contract case. So they, it was people, that, they, and it, we've all seen situations where citizens almost know what they're doing and, and do, do just enough to where they can't, you know, they'll put on evidence of, of liability but no evidence of damages. You know, or, or something like that. And, and we can't, you know, you can't as a judge say, well I'm gonna help you because you're obviously drowning. And here's, you know, these are the questions you need to ask the next witness. This is the, let's just recess this. You go get this evidence and come back and we'll finish this on another day. You, you can't do that. But in, in that kind of situation, I stopped to explain. You know, I said, I, and, and I explained what happened. I explained you sued for one thing. Your evidence was something else. You know, they were frustrated, but they understood. They didn't leave happy, but at least they didn't leave mad at me. And that's, I think, what Judge Reagan was talking about earlier. You've got enormous opportunities to do this. Because as we deal with self represented litigants, it's not just important that that we actually treat them fairly. It's important that they leave thinking they've been treated fairly. Because otherwise, as we know, they're going to be mad not up. They're, going be entire, they're going to be mad at the entire judicial branch. You know, they're going to, they're going to hate the court system. if the only, Maybe their only interaction with the court system is a parking ticket that they shouldn't have received. And, you know, now they're mad at the entire judicial branch because of some snarky interaction they had with us. So, that's what I think. Um, that's why I like doing signings of Vacuum conclusion's Law. That's why I like the, the verbal example. And there's a, a written example um, there's a criminal one, then after that was a civil one. The civil one is an example of a confusing, kind of a confusing fact pattern where I had to. I didn't know that I I didn't know if I had jurisdiction to hear the case because it looked to me like everybody was from Missouri, <coughs> and so I couldn't figure out you know why am I you know why am I hearing this case? It looks like everything is going on in Missouri. So I first had to find whether or not there was a contract um, and in the process of it, because normally you decide jurisdiction first. You know, and if you don't have jurisdiction, you stop. Well to determine whether or not I had jurisdiction, I had to analyze the contract. So I found that there was a contract, but that nothing really happened in Arizona. And so because um, nothing really happened in Arizona, I ended up holding that I didn't have jurisdiction to hear the case. But that's That's sort of backwards, but I put it in as a a mixed example of findings of fact and conclusions of law. Because sometimes these aren't clear cut areas. I found in this case, these guys clearly had a contract. This guy, um, uh, one of them lives in uh, in Maricopa County and he's a semi-retired broadcast person and he likes to do consulting work all over the country. Well, that's great, but everything he did with this guy was either in Missouri or Las Vegas um, the fact that he lives in Arizona wasn't enough for me to get the, the defendant, you know, subject to the jurisdiction of our court system. So anyway, that's that's just an example, but before we take um, uh, a, a brief break and talk about criminal stuff, um, I wanted to sort of go around and say so, some of you have been judges a long time, some of you have... Uh, seen judges <laughs> a long time, uh, uh, or been both. Just, but just how how do you approach findings of fact and conclusion of the law issues? And like when you get to the end of a relatively simple civil traffic, or not civil traffic, but uh, just a civil case, um, how what do you say at the end? Do you take an under advisement and just check it and fill out the judgment form, or what? How do you guys approach it? Yes, if it's. Uh clear-cut
2: one side or the other, I just announce the decision right then and there, because as you said, it's really hard to remember stuff even the next day, and I, I don't care to go through two hours of an FTR to recollect my thoughts, so I try to dispose of it right away. The only time that I duck and cover and take it under advisement, if I really need to research the, the law not so much the facts in the case but you know the law and, and a lot of times you know it, it would be like is there really a valid contract here for example things like that and I want to make sure that I'm on firm footing and uh, otherwise I, I just throw it out there and, and, and dispose of it and I'm not worried about the reaction of the parties anymore I used to be, in the very beginning. <laughs> I wanted to be able to upset one side, but not in their presence. I wanted <laughs> to go hide, sign a judgment, and not have to be subject to their reaction. Yeah. But pro-pers, yeah, sometimes they'll just come unglued, and that's why I explain things to them, okay. to calm them down, so. What, you do you get any civil trials
1: that Outside of landlord-tenant stuff, do you get very many civil trials in your court?
5: Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. Um, y- yes, actually, and, okay. and for everybody who doesn't know me, I've only been on the bench almost two years. So, um, yeah. The interesting thing is, is everybody said, don't, don't say too much mm-hmm. to start with. Mm-hmm. And over time, you start to feel that compelling need to explain yourself and help mm-hmm. people feel like there's some... Re- some support, and so I actually have been working on doing it more verbally, um, because you're it's easier to point things out. I had one last week where, and I can't remember all the facts, but I did say to them, you know, this is the issue in front of the court, and this was the most compelling testimony. And I wrote it down here, and I read it back to them, and I said, with this issue and with this statement, this is where I think I have to go. Uh-huh. And so I'm not being real formalized yet, but I am trying to help them get a sense, first of all, that I was listening. Uh-huh. Second of all, there's a reasoning behind it. Now, sometimes you have to write it out. And, and uh, I will tell you, I, I have gotten a lot of uh, written decisions from other courts, and I frequently refer to them. It's helpful, so. Yep. One thing
2: I started doing about six years ago before we went electronic on <laughs> filing of pleadings, was like in a credit card case, mm-hmm. if I read a really, really good motion for summary judgment, for example,
4: mm-hmm.
2: I would make a copy of it and I would make notes on the face of it and three-ring punch it as to what the main argument was, like not the real party in interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, or didn't acquire the debt legally, or a custodian issue, and there was always some kind of central theme. And what was great is because they would have all these references to, you know, the the laws, and I wouldn't ever have to worry about researching it. I literally could do you know plagiarizing to the extent <laughs> that well here were beautiful case sites. Mm-hmm. And I could just look at those and if I had a right of finding fact conclusion law, a lot of the times work's been done for me. I just go to one that was appropriate and lift out what I need.
1: Now so I when I, I write something up. I, I usually shotgun it to everybody. Um, and yours are good, but and and I just say you know feel free to use some of it, all of it, or none of it. You know I don't. Yours get filed, cowboy. <laughs> you know I plagiarize from them. It's I just but you know if you just spent like ninety minutes researching, you know, uh, what a traffic swerve means under Livingston, um or or, or whatever. You know and. You know why make someone else, you know, find those cases again? You know, or just like, you know, there's here's this fact pattern, here's what Livingston says, here's the three cases after Livingston, here's a case from California. You know, oh, why make someone else, you know, find that stuff again? Now you, so I, in the in the military, I used to call it cross feeding work. You know, one one guy would do a motion on a urinalysis, then it would go command wide. You know, and and everyone would have that same you know, motion or whatever and, and the defense attorneys network much better than the prosecutors did. And in in the military system. But um I, so that I, that was just kinda of my frame of reference. So I thought, Well, if I spent, you know, ninety minutes typing this up, why should someone else have to spend ninety minutes typing this up? You know, and and i sure, and and if it works, great. If it doesn't work, that's OK, too. Maybe you'll get that back pattern sometime, and it will work. But, but you know.
5: the problem with it is keeping it all organized. You get enough information. And I'm, I'm just kind of pointing or looking down at the end of the table.
0: <laughs> um, because it does take time to keep it in a, fa-
5: in a fashion that can be utilized down the road. But we appreciate what you do send out.
1: Um. Do others have other thoughts? I know some of your names I can call in.
5: Yes. <laughs> uh,
4: I'm very limited in the kinds of cases that I hear as a pro tem, but mm. uh, the only negative <laughs> side that I've ever witnessed uh, on the bench for myself, with a self represented litigant, uh, when I'm fine for the plaintiff, <laughs> uh, and I give all the reasons. <laughs> And then the defendant sits back uh, saying, Well, judge, so I lost because I, I didn't have an attorney like the other side did.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: No, sir. I, I, I don't approach that aspect of it at all. Mm-hmm. I say, sir, these are the facts that I just went over and let mm-hmm. me go over them again, sir. And I reviewed why you didn't do okay. this and this was said and this because you didn't dispute this and you know, and I just do it all over again. So
1: that's the reason, sir. You, you, you can try that. I I steal one of John Orr's lines in that scenario where I, I, I if, if someone's trying if the losing side is trying to argue with me, that's a situation that can go downhill really, really quickly. And my goal at that point is probably to get out of the courtroom um, right. because I don't want to spend three hours answering a commission complaint um, that, that's going to come from the guy when I, I say something I shouldn't have said you know because I got provoked or whatever so I, John Orsline is like sir you can appeal me but you don't get to debate me and and I, I like that I, it, it shuts people down sometimes now I, again you, you want it, it, it's a balancing act because you don't want people to leave torqued off, you know. And it, it's it's the, the the smaller the case, the the bigger the anger is for some reason, you know. I, the the you know now at least we have some kind of better setup for our small claims hearing officers in most of our facilities. But and when we used to do small claims hearing office cases, they would all sit around a table in the same room. They weren't within arm's length of each, you know. Literally striking distance of each other, and and the, the there's one door and it's blocked by the guy who's yelling at you, and so it was it was kind of tough to be a small claims hearing officer sometimes in, in some of our facilities because you know most of us have had an experience where we sentence someone to 45 days in jail for DUI, and they say thank you and you're like why are you thanking you know well, they're just being polite but you know so you you've got that extreme. But if you find the dry cleaners didn't shred someone's shirt, that's the guy who stomps off mad. That's the guy, you know, who's going to run against you in the, in the next election cycle. You know, that, that's the guy who's going to do all these mean things. So it's a balancing act. You, you don't want people mad to the extent possible. But if, if, it's, if they're starting to go nuclear and whatever was being said isn't helping, quite frankly I just try to get out of the courtroom at that point. Yes?
4: That, that's kind of the debate. Uh, <laughs> I would prefer to write a decision, because you can think clearly, you can check what you're saying, and sometimes we say things in a way that uh, we might write otherwise for clarity. But I, I try and do most of my rulings from the bench now, just because I can't find that extra half hour, an hour sometimes, to put down everything in writing. Mm-hmm. It goes by to, the cases come come too quickly, and, and by the time you've waited a week to find the time to write it, you can't remember. Yeah, you have I to mean, go back and go look at it. Your notes may not explain it. But the problem, of the other side, as mentioned, is if you say it verbally, you invite them to question you there. And it seems to invite their comments. So I guess okay. that solution is and, yeah. give your reasons and hit the gavel and leave the room.
1: You
2: Actually, you're using the gavel, I <laughs> are you going to be covering any of the do's and don'ts in writing the findings of fact, of things to include, things to exclude? I guess I could. I'm I mean, sure. what? What? Are you, are you looking for something? Spe- I well, mean, you just... You, 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 uh, for example, how okay. much detail do you go into in a finding of fact?
1: Um, just...
2: Uh, I mean, you have one here that's got five, five elements to it. Okay but it just i guess it how much minutia i I, it
1: i don't care about stuff that's not especially you know um if it has something to do if it if it's an important thing like when they turn the keys back in is an important thing in landlord-tenant cases so you need to talk about that um you know uh, on a landlord-tenant case I i would probably talk about things like you know here's a lease, here's when it started, here's when they moved out. Um, I don't care that they paid their rent every month before, you know, I don't, I don't care, that doesn't have anything to do with this case, you know. They're being evicted because of a, a dog problem. So I'm probably not gonna talk about rent, you know, in that case. I'm gonna try to only talk about the stuff that that is relevant because, you know, just because of time. We just don't have time to sit and write all this stuff out, you know. And when I'm doing, uh, the, the law part, there may be six cases that are like kind of cool, you know, I may only discuss two of them just because of time. You know, I may, what's called string site, the other ones, I may, you know, mention them and put a parenthesis as to what the case is about. But it's just, it's just time. We don't, we don't have time, least I don't, I, I know you, you're, you know, you, we, we just don't have time to sit and write, you know, law review quality articles, you know on these on these cases and so I you know, I type something up you know, and I'll, I'll put a post I used to put post it note, you know, on it and clip it to the front of the file It says proofread this if okay send and I never see it again. You know, so I, mean, I I don't I mean these things are written quickly and they're not written to be like some kind of model, you know you know, example necessarily, but it's just, it's just what I use. But yeah, I don't, the, obviously the shorter the better, um, in in most cases. But I mean, if the, if the issue on a breach of contract claim is, is really was there a breach, and no one's disputing if there was an offer, no one was disputing if the offer was accepted, I'm not going to spend any time talking about, you know, the offer and the acceptance, and whether the acceptance was a mirror image or the offer. Yeah, I, I don't care. Um, does anyone else have any thoughts on. We, yes.
0: Uh, just kind of comment that I play hundreds of takes every year. So many times the judge does a good job of explaining, but the litigants, uh, their mind is closed, and they, they just. I'll, I'll play the last two or three minutes of the case, call him back, and tell them what happened, and they will deny. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say. That. Uh, so there's a difference between stating it and understanding it. And and uh, I don't know if we need to go back and repeat it sometimes or something, but. Um,
1: Oh, I, I, know as, I know as a trial attorney I wanted to do more dire at the end of the case. Okay, jury, is there anything you didn't understand? Anything? Any questions? <laughs> you know, any witnesses you'd like me to recall? Because I've done lots of things like, uh, rather than do more dire at the beginning of the case. And then with our
0: hearing officers, they will state the verdict and then go back and start discussing it again. And it seems to be it, 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 that's when the anger comes up. When you, after you've he pronounced the judgment, then he'll let both sides start reintroducing evidence, discussion, and uh, it seems like we have a hard time getting them to just, that's it, here's my judgment, here's my explanation. You're free to leave, you know, I mean, uh, um, so, those two comments. uh, Pardon? They don't understand adjournment.
1: No well, I mean,
2: small it's,
1: it's, <laughs> well, and a, again, the the easy it, 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 an e- if you're in a courtroom, an easy signal um, that the case is over is just get up and leave. Um, that works really well. You know, then they can sit there and argue amongst themselves if they want to. But Do you the, turn
2: the FTR off, then Lindley or are
1: you keeping it off? I usually turn off the FTR when I leave. I mean, I guess I could leave it on just for. Preservation proof. I think there's going to be something interesting. Maybe I want record it recorded. Um, I'm real big on on because uh, the the FTR system only has so much storage space, and uh, and so if the case I I don't like it recording an empty courtroom. And every now and then we'll get an email where we're used to saying, you know, a judge left his FTR on over the weekend. We have you know. 72 hours empty courtroom. You know that's 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 recorded. It's eating up our storage space. You know, please don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the FTR is the official record. So
3: one it, thing you do not want to do is turn off the FTR while you're still sitting down. Yeah, uh, and have somebody then say that you said something
0: after the recording.
1: Yeah, good point.
0: Let me also throw you yeah. the FTR. You can lock the camera on the witness chair. You can lock it on the 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 uh, the well or lock it on the judge please let it let it do its thing by rotating because I've listened to quite a few recordings that that I never saw the judge's face the whole time yeah. and I'm still waiting trying to figure out whose voice is that <laughs> uh, uh, but um, I know the judges like to lock it on so that it stays on so they know it was there but when you get on the bench just check it. And and let it move to wherever the sound mode. comes from. Yeah, auto mode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it it, it it makes it easier to understand what they're saying if if you can see the picture moving, then you realize who's who's speaking.
2: When you're listening to tapes, do you have trouble when the attorney is walking around? He leaves the desk and. Because we have those uh, lavalier microphones mm-hmm. with transmitters on them, you know. Yeah, I think everyone has them. I you just don't know. know. I don't know. Uh, we're using them. those more and
0: more. Okay, I didn't know they were even available to us.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, I've got four of them. Uh,
0: then have micro- to keep <laughs> four from walking out and going home still with well, the iPhone. <laughs> I that. did that at a wedding one time. <laughs> I got home and took my coat off and said, what's this, you know, oh.
1: But, uh, yeah, we don't, um, I don't think, we've got all, we've, it's a separate, we've, we've got a variety of audio equipment that we never use.
0: a yeah, oh, jury don't. trial, that's where you need to level air my more than... Yeah, than,
1: but with, uh, um, You know, we've got headphones for hearing impaired that we hardly use those a lot. I just speak louder, Uh, (laughs) but uh, you know, come up here and that's fine. Okay, but um, does anyone else have any thoughts on uh, findings of fact and conclusions a lot in civil cases, or how you end a a civil trial?
0: You know, if if nothing else, uh, sometimes I'll be able, especially now that we've got the. EDMS, and I can pull up, and you'll find something, and there'll be a line drawn through the broken window, and a line drawn through this, <laughs> and then it makes it pretty easy to explain to somebody, like, oh, well, he didn't allow these items, he allowed these items. That's how he came up with the amount of money. And uh, so even something like having file is very helpful uh, if you just lined out, or on the, uh, the, the, the attorney costs, Mm-hmm. I've seen many files where they just marked through 250 and put down 150. Okay, now you know what, what his rationale
1: was. Yeah, although we, we have attorney's fees as a whole separate uh, issue. We have an upcoming class just on attorney's fees. It's, I, I don't remember which day it is. Maybe
3: June
1: 5th. June 5th. Okay, so quickly. And then we have a, a new form and outlook um, as a way to document. Uh, a reduction in attorney's fees. If you're, you, you don't have to use it. It's just, it's an, it gives you an option. It's a, it's a checkbox thing, because um, if you radically reduce attorney's fees and don't explain why, you're, and you get appealed, you're probably going to lose that, that appeal. If, if it's a HOA collection firm and they're wanting $1,800 to do a, a default judgment for $900, and you just line through the eighteen hundred dollars and write four hundred dollars above it, and don't explain it. Don't issue a minute entry. Don't you know? Say why <laughs> that you're making some kind of finding that it's. That what
0: kind of a what kind of a finding would would you say? You just think that's a too high hourly rate, or would you? That's well, there, too many there's, hours. There's
1: a list. There's a list of factors um, that you well, go through.
6: One I had just the other day yeah. is, is the uh, attorney's fees affidavit uh, set forth. Uh, dollar amounts, but didn't set forth the time. And China dollar requires oh, so block to, 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 to list the time, so you can assess whether it was reasonable for an attorney to spend uh, two and a half hours on, you know, on reviewing a, a, a letter. Or yeah. But the, I mean, you, you look at things like, you know,
1: what's customary for this type of case. You look at what's uh, a reasonable amount of time. You look at it, was the, the case involved, you know, unique. Novel legal issues. You look at um, was it a summary judgment? Was it a default judgment? You know, did it require multiple trial ex- You know, visits? Did it require extensive discovery? Did it require you know? Um, and and you try to look at things like that and make the best wild guess that that you could make. And the the a uh, 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 an example that we can all maybe relate to a little easier is in landlord-tenant cases where. The landlord attorney, the, the three main firms, you know, that that do landlord tenant cases, they're charging between ninety and maybe one hundred and twenty dollars per case to do these landlord evictions. Then, then what like my what like my my calls tall building attorney, uh, you know, a, 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 an attorney from a tall building law firm comes in, you know, and they're. They've done the paperwork, but they, they're asking you questions. You have to explain to them how to do uh, a writ of restitution. You have to explain to them, you know, when to, you know, and all. know, so you're, you're actually educating them. And they want $1,500 in attorney's fees for that court appearance. Um, because that's what, you know, they're, they're worth normally in a regular, you know, and it's like, well, okay, maybe you're worth, maybe in a securities fraud case, you know, or, or something like that. That's that's fifteen hundred dollars. But here in justice court, landlord tenant land, um, these are really going for more like a hundred dollars. And if they go to trial, then the attorney requests two hundred dollars. And they're like, "What? You're you kidding?" Me. Like, no. So you know, so it's just it, it's it's kind of what's it's almost like an industry standard. You know what, what the attorney's fees should or should not be. But that's that's a whole different. Um, Issue. and it was a source of a lot of frustration for me um, because I would get, well, all of get uh, six pleadings, you know, s- six cases in a row where literally only the defendant's name is changing, um, it seems like, because it's the same HOA. You know, the CC and our Xerox are the same. You know, all this stuff looks like it's the same and the, the address is changing, the defendant's name is changing, the amount due is changing and miraculously each one of those cost $575 to to draft the complaint. And you're like, no, I'm sorry, I don't don't think that's reasonable. Um, So it may have taken, you know, 1.25 hours the first time you did it, but the fifth time you did it, it probably didn't take that long. So maybe that's not the best way to to look at it. So does anyone have anything else on civil stuff before we flip to criminal? Apparently not. Let's take a brief break. Just Sweet so. Break,
0: be back five
1: minutes Just so I don't put you all to sleep, uh, and we'll talk about criminal stuff.
0: <laughs> and is everybody signed? Sign in, too? We conference. Oh, once yeah. you have the treasure sale, the previous owner doesn't have control. Right. If the control has moved to whoever acquired at the trustee sale, even if they haven't recorded the documentation, therefore, if you don't have control, how can you have
6: liability? That's what goes back to the CCNRs, because sometimes the CCNRs will say the record owner has, has, it.
5: has, <laughs> has the record, <laughs> so record uh, yeah. owner. Well, uh, and, and
0: it, it hurts when you tell somebody that, that hey, until that no. deed is taken out of your name, you're responsible. No. Same thing. What if what if somebody gets hurt on the property? They're going to sue the person that's on the on the title. They're not going to sue the bank. Just because yeah, the bank is getting paid. There's issues left. there
2: what if this property burns down and not, yeah. not been paid. But maybe you who know. suffers yeah, I, I don't know that it's subtle. <laughs>
1: that's good. Yeah. It, it, the the other we tragic scenarios. But we've all had the scenario where it. it, it I hate to indict a gen- my gender, but it always seems to be the guy um, who, assume, he says, that for the, the divorce decree, he, ta- he agrees to take the Visa card bill. Uh, he doesn't pay the Visa card bill. He may even declare personal bankruptcy. You know, ex-wife comes in with the divorce decree saying, but he has to, my ex-husband has to pay this. Well, Visa card's not a part of your divorce decree, ma'am. You're on the hook. You know, you can sue your ex-husband. Good luck with that. You know, but that's... Yeah, sometimes life's not fair. Um,
5: on. So if I might, I mean, sure. this is this is a case I had yesterday. Okay, and I took it under advisement. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> uh, you're yeah, give a group of advisors on it now. Knowing I was coming here today, yeah, <laughs> and uh, asked some guys that actually knew what was going on, and well, how would you rule on it? What
1: should yeah. I do? Did uh, the, the CCNR say that the prior yeah. person's on the hook? Yeah. I think the prior person's probably on the hook. Yeah. You can make all kinds of arguments the other way. Um, I guess make a written decision so it's appealed and then we'll, everyone will
0: know what the rule is. Um, but yeah. I, I, I know, ethically, you could discuss a case with another judge, but can you discuss it with the whole class? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
1: doesn't know, know the names of the parties, so I think we're good. No names. Yeah. No
5: names. Well,
2: the bank has a authority in that particular case. Oh. Right. Over
1: cool. Property. Yeah, but okay, criminal. Um, when, we're, when we're talking about findings of fact in, in criminal cases, we're, we're, it's, it's kind of a different concept. And uh, I think I, uh, when I became a, a judge, I initially horrified my, my staff for a variety of reasons. One of them was I was rejecting guilty pleas because there wasn't a factual basis for them. Um, and, and people, um, uh, you know, you, you can argue, that. do you have a right to plead guilty? I don't think you do. I don't think you have a right to plead guilty to something you didn't do. If, if you didn't do it, um, then, then you shouldn't be pleading guilty to it. And all of us, I'm guessing, if you if, if you if you pro tem for an hour uh, you know, on a on a criminal arraignment calendar, you have some guy who or, or lady who's standing in front of you says like, look, I just I just want to plead guilty, you know, pay a fine because I don't want to come back, you know, I don't want to I don't want to come back here kid. Well, were you doing this? No, I, I I wasn't driving recklessly. I was actually really responsible. All right, I can't let you plead you know guilty to reckless driving. If you and my my the phrase I use back is I said you can't plead maybe. You know you're either guilty or you're not guilty, but you're not maybe. Um, when O.J. Simpson uh, had his arraignment on his criminal uh, murder case um, uh, at arraignment, he and, and comedians made fun of it afterwards, but he said the judge said, how do you plead? And he said, absolutely 100% not guilty. And this was new to me, because I wasn't aware that there were percentages that were possible. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm about 40% guilty. Um, you know, I, this, this was new to me. I wasn't aware that you could attach percentages to, to your level of guilt. Um, if you, uh, I don't know who owns the Tombstone Courthouse now. It used to be a state park. Then I think it was sold to the city. Um, I, I, it's still historic, but if, if you ever, if you're ever in Tombstone, visit the courthouse. It's kind of cool, and uh, under glass you can read the big some big ledger books like they used to have in justice courts, and that that was the record of trial was this these big ledger books, and I'm glad that I didn't live during that time period, maybe for a variety of reasons in Tombstone, but one was my handwriting is not anything like that. It's beautiful calligraphy, you know. Handwriting, and that that was the records of trial. But one of them, you, I, I read, it was a, a justice court case where a guy was accused of breaking into someone's house and getting the homeowner's daughter drunk. <laughs> 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 well, were, were were the allegations, and he was found by the justice of the peace of being undoubtedly guilty, which was a new concept to me. Apparently there's guilty, not guilty, and undoubtedly guilty, or at least there was in Tombstone. the in the 1800s, and he was sentenced to a $50 fine which he could not pay, so he got 30 days in jail. Um, But that just little snippet I found fascinating in the the tombstone, Uh, but, we get people all the time that plead guilty, that want to plead guilty to stuff they didn't do. But well, I've been here twice now, I can't really, I can't keep coming, I can't keep taking off work, I can't keep doing this. Just let me plead guilty. Um, and some of those cases, maybe, maybe I'm not, I've had this experience a couple times, maybe others have as well, the, the guy who wants to, he, he signed a plea agreement, he wants to plead guilty, um, he's not—he's not willing to admit that he did anything wrong, but he wants to plead guilty just so he doesn't come back again. Um, he says, "No, I, actually, she hit me. I didn't hit her. I, you know, I, mean, I just—I want this over with. I'm tired of coming back here." Da, da, da. Um, I deny it. Set it for trial. And, and in almost all those cases, the state
6: can't prove their case.
1: You know, and so they—they the, they come back, and for whatever reason, the witness isn't there or something like that. So the the case gets dismissed, so not only are they uh, wanting to plead guilty to something they didn't do, they're, they're trying to plead guilty to something that maybe the state can 't even prove and I, I think that's that's important I mean I, I say, look we 're not Soviet russia you know you, you, you don't just get convicted with without any kind of factual basis you now it doesn't it doesn't take much you know my 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 plea question on driving on a suspended license was were you driving on a suspended license on the day you received the ticket? If the answer, yes, um, that's probably good enough unless they follow it up with, but I didn't know it was suspended, I'd moved, and then I didn't. then you've got a, a separate issue. But you know, if, if, if they're pleading guilty to criminal speeding and they won't admit they were speeding, you've got a problem. Um, I, don't, I don't know that you can necessarily take that plea. Yes, sir. Well, if
7: it's a part of a plea agreement, mm-hmm. I'm assuming the prosecutor somewhere rolling around the building. And you bring the prosecutor in the prosecutor can lay a factual basis. And if the guy agrees, yeah, that's what happened, you know, you've done it. Or sometimes the prosecutors will go and no contest right. yeah, will take care of it.
1: Well, except you still have in Arizona, you still have to have a factual basis for no contest.
7: Well, yeah.
1: you know, yeah. the, the, the thing, the thing is the state's evidence will yeah. show,
7: yeah, 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 yeah you believe that works
1: that what and what I have done in the past is because you know sometimes I'm hearing the plea at at 1230 the prosecutors already left the building for the day you know um, and it, it was a 11 o'clock pretrial conference or something like that I'm just I'm just now getting the plea I'm hearing it over a lunch period the prosecutor's gone she's not coming back until you know Wednesday it's Monday and so I'll see that they have a piece of paper with a, a pink sheet, you know, on top of it. Is that the police report? Yeah. May I see that? <laughs> you know, and, and so I'll, I'll look at the police report and it says, and you can say, like, either with the prosecutor or with the police report if they've got it, if the case would go forward to trial, do you, are you convinced that the state would present this evidence? You know, and if that's enough, then you can make a factual basis that way. But, but if it's something where they're just refusing to admit they did anything wrong, I don't think you can take that plea um, because, you, you, yeah, you can't. You can't. They can't plead maybe. And so there's a rule which I put in your your handout. Is it uh, Rule of Criminal Procedure uh, seventeen point three? Before accepting a plea of guilty or no contest. The court shall address the defendant personally in open court and determine that the defendant wishes to forego the constitutional rights of which he or she has been advised that the plea is voluntary and not the result of forced threats or or promises other than what's in the plea agreement. The trial court may at that time determine that, uh, that there is a factual basis for the plea where the termination may be referred for a judgment of guilt as provided in this other thing. A uh, factual basis for a plea can be established by strong evidence of guilt and does not require a finding of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, so that's what that's what the rule and that's what the the case says. Um, and just before I forget uh, to bring it up, I, all of us know this, but it's worth reminding uh, everyone when we were talking earlier about interchange with the. The defendant at a trial, and you know, ask ask the ask the defendant questions, make sure they understand what's going on. That a criminal, that's that's a, that's a completely different mindset, completely different uh, setup. Um, everyone knows that you have an absolute right to remain silent, and I, I tell people at the beginning of a of a criminal trial, I give a speech that goes something like this: I says, look. The prosecution is very familiar with the court procedures. I don't anticipate that you are. Um, the, so I want to give you a brief overview of what's going to happen today. The first thing that will happen is both sides will have an opportunity to make an opening statement. If you make an opening statement, that's not your time to tell me everything you think I need to know about the case. It just may be a two or three minute overview of what you believe the evidence is going to show. After that, the prosecution will go first. Um, they'll call you know, it looks like two witnesses um, after the prosecutors through asking questions of those witnesses, then you get to ask questions of those witnesses. That's called cross-examination. It's a concept you may be familiar with from TV, police shows, or whatever. Um, My only caution to you is when you're asking questions of the other side's witnesses is that you just ask questions. You don't argue or debate or do any of the things that you see on afternoon TV judge shows. No one's gonna yell at anybody or anything like that today after the prosecutors pres- through presenting their case, then it's your turn to present your case. However, you're a defendant in a criminal case and you have an absolute right to remain silent. The only person who can call you as a witness is you. And the only way the prosecutor gets to ask you questions is if you call yourself as a witness. Um, and then I explain closing argument and and press from there. But I, I don't, um, it, it, it's real easy to, you know, halfway through criminal trial look at the defendant and say, is that true, did that really happen? No, you, you, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that in a criminal case.
7: Yes? Sometimes in a, like a bench trial you're talking yeah. about giving the defendant kind of the play by play or the overview.
5: Yeah.
7: You. you have to make sure anyone talk about, you can make an opening statement, you can make a closing statement. Yeah. But what you say in those statements is not evidence. The only way I can take something as a fact mm-hmm. is when it comes from the witness stand. So you have the absolute right to remain silent and I can't mm-hmm. use your silence against you in any way. But if you want me to accept something as a fact, I'm going to have to have sworn testimony and leave it at that. Because I've had times when somebody makes a, an opening and a closing, but they remain silent, and then they get torqued off because at the end I find them guilty. <laughs> and then they say, Well, I did this, I did this. No, you mm-hmm. didn't. And so it's my experience to get that up front so they can't say that, get that cleared up anyway.
2: Yes. Role of the FTR in taking criminal pleas, especially uh, in defining the finding of fact. Record or not record? I record everything. Record. If, if
1: I'm in the courtroom talking to someone, I'm recording it. Um, I, it, it, it I got in trouble once because I yelled at somebody, but most of the time, uh, most of the time the, 99% of the time, the FTR protects the judge. Um, it, it's much better to, to have something uh, it also protects you later if they're secretly recording and you're on YouTube. At least you have the full thing um, that way. <laughs> but um, I, I always record. Um, I know, and I can't really think of a good reason not to, um, especially on a guilty plea. There's, They may have trouble establishing that it's a valid conviction if they're trying to introduce it as a prior in a subsequent
2: case if there's no record of it. Um, Because I have a lot of attorneys that will come up to the bench and point down a timer and say, Judge, we're not on the record. Oh yeah. On just taking a plea. Now a standard plea, I have not FTR'd those. Oh, I FTR everything.
1: I guess because I go through it. Yeah, I guess by pleading guilty, you're giving up your right to appeal, so there's nothing really to appeal. But I, I really think than that, the
2: PCR. Yeah, I, I really think everything should be on the record because uh, my practice is not to okay. do it.
1: Uh, we'll we'll talk unless later somebody on. Not, asks. Okay, um, court. No, I always. Yeah, um, I, it's just safer. Um, I, I don't advise people at the beginning. I think there's some, some archaic rules and statutes that say, you know, you're supposed to tell people at the beginning of the recall to request a record. You know, No, I record everything. Um, I just think that's safer. Um, uh, in terms of findings of fact and conclusions of law, writing something it, up, you know, it's not required to make findings of fact and conclusions of law, but it's, it's a really good idea. So says the Court of Appeals in States v. West. Um, and it, it does uh, lessen the appellate burden a little bit. The only place in the criminal context where you're, you're absolutely required to do a, a written findings of fact and conclusions of law that, that I think that would impact us is after a Rule 32 evidentiary hearing. I don't think any of us have done a Rule 32 evidentiary hearing. They just don't come up in justice court very often. Um, people will follow judgment relief, you know, but it's usually the are usually they're filing a a motion to set aside a conviction or some kind of motion to reduce fines. We just we just don't really get Rule Thirty Two petitions very often in in justice court. But if we ever get one and you have a hearing, then then you're actually required to do written findings of fact and conclusions of law. But like we talked about earlier on the 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 verbal stuff. Um, and here's, here's my example of a, of a verbal one in, in the middle of page three. Um, and it says, and, and disorderly conduct I think is, is, is a very difficult charge, it's very nebulous. Um, but this is, a, this is one for disorderly conduct. So I'm prepared to make findings of fact and conclusions of law in this case. I find the following. One, the elements of the offense of disorderly conduct in violation of the statute require the defendant to prove a, the defendant intentionally, B, engaged in fighting, violent, or seriously disruptive behavior, and C, did so with the intent to disturb the peace or quiet of a neighborhood, family, or person. Two, on the charged day, the defendant approached a group of three people standing in his neighbor's yard and stated, we don't want any Seahawks fans around here. You need to leave. In an attempt to, three, in an attempt to avoid confrontation, the guests went inside. 4. The defendant responded by pounding on the front door to his neighbor's house as he yelled, I told you to leave, I will come in after you if you don't leave. 5. The defendant continued to do so until the police were, arrived and he was arrested for his orderly conduct. 6. Based on the evidence de- presented, I find the state's witnesses to be credible. I find the state has met its burden of proof and therefore I find the defendant guilty as charged. I, I think that, that does it. I don't think you need much more than that. Um, I don't know that you need to actually put the quotes you know, as to what the disorderly conduct was in there. But I, I, I think something like that it, is simple enough that works as the findings of fact and conclusions of law at the end of a criminal bench trial.
2: I, I have a question yeah. doubling back to it would be a yeah. civil, especially your yeah. cases. If it's just the hearing, mm-hmm. do you go into findings of fact as opposed to an answer being filed and now you've moved it to a bench trial? For for what for a special detainer? Oh, like the initial appearance? Yes. Kind of thing?
1: No. Because it's just a summary proceeding. Right, and, and there's nothing to have, there's 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 no findings of fact to make if the defendant's not contesting anything.
2: I mean, if, there, if there's no no answer.
1: Right. Well, and, and say they're there. Okay. Yeah. Say say it's one of the the five percent of the cases where the tenants are there um, in, in an eviction case, and what what I do. Um I, I looked you know, I looked at the summons, looked at the notice. you know, is there a five day notice? Yeah, 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 okay, any and, he, and I'll, I'll call the case, the tenant's coming up. Uh, the landlord attorney's looking through the ledger or whatever. I'll say your landlord's alleging you haven't paid rent for May. Is that correct? If they say yes, then I say why? I, I just ask why And I'm listening for anything that sounds like a defense. Um, what you usually get, as we all know, is a mixture of my landlord's a jerk. And a financial hardship. Neither one of those are a defense to non-payment of rent. I, and I tried. Yeah, well, I tried. Is a different <laughs> is a different issue. You know, um, you, you tell the story about how everybody paid their rent the night that that was robbed. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody magically paid the rent the night, the, the property drop Dropbox was robbed, so, yeah. you know.
0: Uh, they dropped this through the slot. It, it, it cash,
1: everybody cash dropped it, cash. cash and all the money was in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, and it, if they say, and if you're getting, you know, some version of my landlord's a jerk, or some no kidding thing about how, you know, well, it's been really hard since my, you know, my chemo and my car was towed and you know you you get these horrific stories and my canned response to those is like all kinds of people can't pay rent for all kinds of reasons that aren't their fault. It doesn't make you a bad person but it doesn't the landlord to a judgment against you today. And then I talk about ways that they can maybe work something out. If they can't work something out they need to know that probably today because they only have five days before they have to move and Five days isn't very much time, but it's better than five minutes, which is what the constable will give them, you know, when he comes to serve them. And, and that's sort of my can't thing. But if their answer to the, my why question is, well, it's just been really hard since he cut off the power. Okay, stop. Now, you, now, you got, now you've got something that you need to hear. Um, and so now I'm saying, okay, if, if you can do it then, you know, great. But frequently those have to be set for a trial two days later. I always tell the defendants to file a written answer. Um, I think it helps focus the issues. I always tell the defendants um, if they can't afford it, they can do a waiver of the answer fee. I think everyone grants waivers routinely of answer fees. I, I, I guess there's someone out there who's done a deferral and just have your court staff come and yell at you and Says, I don't want to keep track of this, what's wrong with you? Um, so they.
2: This you gotta so, have a hearing on it.
1: <laughs> and so, uh, I, I, I have never checked the deferral box and I probably never will uh, check the deferral box on, on, on those things, but that's, that's how that works. And so, um, no, on a civil, uh, something like that, I don't do findings of fact, you know, if the person's there, they're admitting they haven't paid the rent, they don't have an excuse there's nothing for me to find. They're right. really they
2: because the finding is: Are you in possession? Are you not paid the rent pursuant oh, to the lease. Yeah, oh, that's, that's it. Yeah. End of hearing. Yeah, Very
1: much. Yeah, because but, and there's, well, I want a jury trial. Okay, well, before before you can get it to a jury trial, you have to have a reason to have a trial. And if yeah. if you're not giving me anything that's in dispute, you're not giving me any defense. Then there's nothing to have a trial about.
6: Okay. okay. <laughs> when they say that they didn't get the five day the five day notice was not properly posted.
1: Then actually, you have to, I think you have to have a, a trial on whether or not
2: they got the five day notice. Can I ask a question about civil trials? <laughs> I'm uh, I mean, sure we're what, a little off topic here, but sure. I know it is, but, <laughs> but, but because you got some pro tems here and stuff. With the switch of the approach to having the standing day for jury trials, and now they're only going to be called up when needed, how do we address the issue? Of a request for a special container jury trial made on a Tuesday, and Friday is usually my jury trial day, and now it's going to take me a month to get a jury. What do I do? Uh, don't know. That Make we've a done post that. the rent and say we'll see you in a month. That would be one way to do it.
1: Yeah, the other way is to see if there's. <coughs> I, right, better, better. I've got to think there's a way we can tap into the Superior Court jury pool, um, at least for the, the courts in this building.
6: Um, I could really raise it
1: up to over 10000
3: court. and transfer it to them. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, Judge, Judge Reagan, the, the easy answer to that yeah. is uh, there are a number of courts now that do not schedule weekly jury trials, so how do they handle it? The answer is they don't because. We never get it. We never get it. <laughs> yeah. If we knew, I would either make a pay rent into the court and hold it in a month or bump it to Superior Court.
1: Or you yeah.
3: Well. So we just don't have the capacity to do a jury trial on demand. You can't. The problem with using the superior court jury pool is they draw from the whole county, whereas you draw from your own precinct. Yeah,
1: and you'd have to have an objection. Well, I was able to, I've had a problem in my court getting jury members just to show up, but potential jury members to show up. Okay. And um, so far, all I'm doing in response is sending snarky letters. Uh, the, the people don't, we know, the jury, the jury commission will tell you, these are the people that didn't show up. Okay, and so I've, I've sent two sets of snarky letters out because we didn't have enough uh, potential jury members to get, uh, uh, well, yeah, to get a to get a, a case, um, to get. Well,
2: broken. you don't get a jury trial just because you demand one. But you have to show, you know, especially Tainer, that that they're.
1: Well, you have to have something to have a trial
2: about. To hang your hat on, right? Yeah, you, you have to have something to have a trial about. And you got but, to post the rent bond to to eliminate the argument that it's not due to a lack of funds, right?
1: I don't think you can make people post a bond to have a jury trial.
2: I, I make people post
1: 250 for a trial. Okay, we'll talk later about that. <laughs> Maybe some, <laughs> some constitutional issues about... <laughs> <laughs> Hid, a, a,
2: okay, a I didn't line. mean to get you off track. Yeah, no, 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 no. The, the thought hit me when you said jury trial. Yeah,
1: no, and, and it's a fair question. The reality is, I mean, I spent a lot of time doing jury instructions. For eviction cases, I don't know that they've been used more than five times, you know, statewide. I was just—I didn't like that we didn't have any jury instructions for eviction cases, so I wrote some, you know, and got them through the, the state I had a bars process. Yeah. You know, do
2: you really? Is it Scottsdale.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, but I've got—I think I've had one in maybe ten years. Um, but if 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 you have uh, if you're if you're the one court in Maricopa County that's you know doing Three or four jury trials a year on eviction cases, then maybe the on-demand system's not work. Not going to work for you.
2: Well,
6: I, I don't you know, think anyone's doing it that often.
1: No, because yeah. because
2: we have a lot of DUI jury trials scheduled in advance. Well, we do, yeah. And most of them vacate. I can always just schedule them for the DUI jury trial day, and yeah. I could always move the DUI jury trial if I had to. <laughs> right. Or bring up. bring a. Bring a or, but but are they actually going to trial though? Or That's they, it. Most of the times the answer is no. Okay. So I just grab their date.
1: Yeah. But, um, okay. so, good. no, no, it, it, it's, it's a fair question though. Um, cause, uh, yeah cause we're not, we're not geared up to do no notice jury trials. Um, with the one, <laughs> this, this is a bad solution. Um, there's a statute that authorizes the constable just to go round up jury members. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't work, yeah, that's, that's not conducive to get re- getting reelected, but. <laughs> but,
3: that, but that didn't even work for you because you're so far from your precinct.
1: Yeah, it would, yeah. It, it would, the, I had three, three, three weeks, three trials in a row, three, three trial weeks in a row where I didn't have sufficient jury members to, to do a trial I was able to do one of the three only because we were able to steal jury members I think from Manesty, um, and do a a trial and the defense in that case didn't object. He was like, I don't care where the jury members come from. That's just let's just get this sucker done. Uh the the other guy did object. And he was like, I he goes, I'm not trying to be a jerk, he goes, but you know, and I, I can't blame you. Delay often helps the defense. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of an ongoing thing. But on on findings of fact and conclusions of law, after a suppression hearing, I always write something up. Um, and I don't know what other people's practices is. Um, you do a lot of criminal defense work as well, and a lot of pra- you know, you, so you probably see how. Every judge does it. Um, Maybe you don't like what I write up and send back to you,
6: Um, but
1: uh, in any event, I I
6: prefer I prefer something that has a little bit of meat to it, uh, rather than the um, you know motion denied set for (laughs) trial. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. You know, who went through a multi you know multi hour hearing and I, I get I get barely eight words out of that.
1: Yeah. And you don't know if you've got a good appeal or not. But in an evidentiary hearing,
2: I mean, you take a look at the closing arguments on both sides, and that yeah. pretty much summarizes a lot of what you would say anyway. It, it,
1: it, it certainly can, but you yeah, do. you, you still have to make a decision, you know. And uh, I, I I don't especially like our, our hospital blood draw statute, but but I, I, I hold people following it most of the time Uh, because it you know the statute says you can do this the appellate courts have said that's that's proper and therefore you know when someone goes into a hospital for treatment and they're, they're really there in connection with the dui case the police can you know frequently just say you know take two more from me and and that almost you know works if they if they have some other things they do do a couple other procedures that works. Now, that's an exception to the search warrant requirement based on um, that's a medical blood draw. Well, it's not really medical blood draw. You know, it's, it's a legal fiction. The, the blood that's, that's being drawn from the the suspect at that point is not being drawn for his medical care and treatment and diagnosis. It's being, you know, used for law enforcement. It's being used in a separate, you know, test tubes that law enforcement brings because they have an anticoagulant and, and they have some other stuff to preserve the blood. So if you're kind of a purist on the Fourth Amendment, you think, you know, that sure looks like something that should require a warrant. Well, that's one of the exceptions to the warrant requirement that, that we have this in here. But Are you they, saying in an ER that
2: they don't, as a normal procedure, uh, draw your blood to ultimately give them information about if you're under the, know that like, the stimulants, drugs, or something, without law enforcement even requesting no, I mean, you know, but that's medical diagnosis and treatment. Right. Okay.
1: You're, you're, yeah, you're the, 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 the docs can do what they need with your consent, um, with your informed consent. For, for what, if you're unconscious, then it's presumed you know, that, that you're consenting to stuff for your treatment. Sometimes, but the uh, but there's an exception to the search warrant requirement that we have in statute that I talk about in, in the in the motion that that basically says they can sort of get that blood to. The, the, the concept is leftover blood. They can get the leftover blood, you know, that's not used for treatment for law enforcement purposes. So it's not really leftover blood. It's additional blood that's being drawn, and that that's one of the things I talk about in in the motion. If if you have that, or if you have, you know, was there probable cause for the stop? Was it yes? Has uh,
7: your
1: ruling gone up? Uh, this one, no. Uh, but but most of the, most of the time, um, the cops you know, follow the rules. Most of the time, they do it right. Um, this guy was, was kind of brazen on the stand. He said, you know, yeah, I, I know. It's, it's just a hassle to get a warrant. You have to find a phone and the fax machine. That just, you know, I'm like, really, dude? That's your testimony? You know, uh, so. <laughs> I just, you know, uh, you're at a modern hospital. There's a phone, there's a fax, there's a commissioner who's there at two in the morning, you know, looking for something you know, on the other end of the fax machine, it's not that hard. Before we had fax machines, you could get telephonic warrants. It, it's just not that hard. Um, and even even if you don't want to get a warrant, you can still call it exigent circumstances. Um, because blood, you know, evidence is something that, by definition, degrades over time. So you, you've got kind of an emergency. You've got kind of some other things you can do. Um, but you still have to follow. The, the minimal procedures that are there and, and in my opinion this guy did not, but in that particular case, but m- most of them, I don't know if you've been on... I, I can't remember the cases that uh, our, our learned defense counsels had. Um, I don't know if you've been mm-hmm. on the, the receiving end of some where I've, up, I've upheld the costs following that statute. So it just, you know, it, it's very, very fact specific and it's not going to be the same every time. Um, But um, I had one where they had a a DUI that had DNA evidence of all things because the cops came upon an accident scene, the cars overturned. There are two people staggering around, neither of which would admit to driving. (laughs) So they they matched the blood on the steering wheel with the the you know blood of the driver. so they, they assumed that the guy that bled on the string but was really the guy who was driving. Um, uh, so, I mean, you, you, you have these situations, but we, we, we know kind of this, the standard attacks. It, what Was the probable cause? Because there, there are only two elements of, of drunk driving. You're, you were drunk and you were driving. You know, that's really it. So the, 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 the case is going to attack either I wasn't driving, and I've had one of those, or I wasn't intoxicated or I wasn't impaired and the the, if if the facts are going forward to trial that's that's what's that's what the defense is going to focus on either I wasn't driving or I wasn't impaired Um, and then if before you get to that point if they're trying to suppress evidence because they believe it wasn't obtained in a constitutional manner one of the attacks is going to be there was not probable cause for the stop you know there wasn't once they stopped the person there wasn't you know, probable cause for what they did after that, or there wasn't an emergency, they should have got a warrant. If they get a warrant, it kind of cures everything. Um, and not completely, but there's a case called Leon that says the police can rely on a bad warrant, basically. And so, um, these are all very, very fact-specific cases, and, and none of them are going to be exactly the same. You go, oh, this is just another guy who's, you know, challenging the traffic stop. And then you listen to the evidence and say, well, maybe it's not another guy. and. You know, and for me, I don't know how you guys should judge credibility of witnesses, but for me, if witnesses admit what they can't remember, that enhances their credibility. If I've got a sighting officer that can remember the color of the the flowers on the bush on the side of the roadway, you know, this is some guy who may be embellishing something. You know, that's that's my perspective anyway. So I I think these are very, very fact-specific cases. So when you're doing the criminal findings of fact, and conclusions of law i think the findings of fact is really the more important part because you have to decide what happened the law is kind of subtle. i mean people kind of know what requires a warrant people kind of know what probable, you know and and you know probable cause means more than mere suspicion whatever that means you know and and you go from there but um do any of you have any thoughts on how you end a criminal trial or how you end uh, an evidentiary hearing i mean you can at the end of an evidentiary hearing, you can say, uh, you know, I, I find, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ruling against the defense motion, check the box, you know, announce it in open court even, and and go from there. Um, I just, it, maybe it's more, as, or I view it more as a, as a type of courtesy or maybe customer service or whatever. If, if, if attorneys have been fighting back and forth, you know, they've, they've done motions, they've done a, a a res- you know, a response, a reply, you've had a four hour evidentiary hearing, I just think they owe it a little bit to know what you're thinking. And you can do it verbally like I guess you do or you can do it, you know, um, more formally like, like I do.
2: Yes. You're, you're very eloquent in your conclusions of law in your criminal example. i love like oh. you to read them. <laughs> For the non-attorney, choices, <laughs> how much could you skinny this one down? Oh, you want me to bridge it? Um, in other words you've done a great job here but let's say for <laughs> someone who has not done uh, all of the research it's pretty clear after the hearing which way you're going to go there's a there's good findings in fact how deep do you go in the conclusions of the law
1: maybe not as is as, as much I mean like where I say, uh, I start off in the context of a DUI investigation, unless the suspect consents, they can only obtain blood samples if there's a warrant under Arizona's implied consent law or under the medical blood draw exception. If it's a medical blood draw exception, I don't need to have that sentence. You know, I can just, press. that's a canned thing that I cut and pasted. Mm-hmm. You know, probably from another ruling and stuck in there, but I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about search warrants in here. Because I didn't get one um so i'm I'm not gonna talk about search warrants I'm gonna, I may say and if then, here's the issue here's the law uh in this case if I remember right this is the one where the lazy cop well it's lazy cop also the the uh, and I shouldn't say lazy cop when I'm being recorded um but the uh, <laughs> I think that this is the one also where the the prosecutor argued that it would have been unreasonable to needle stick the the defendant a second time. Um, he said we had to get all the blood out of the first, you know, out of the first needlestick in that port that had been opened because it's just, you know, cruel and unfair to stick him a second time after we've got a warrant. I didn't buy that argument. Um, I, I guess maybe I should have been more concerned about the guy getting stuck a second time. I was more concerned about the Fourth Amendment. Um, but um, in any event, that, that was one of the arguments they made. They also, argued, they also argued that since everything was done only by hospital personnel initially on their own initiative, that there was no what's called state action involved. The Fourth Amendment, our, our Constitution really only restricts government people from doing stuff. If if I want to violate your I don't know your rights in some way, I probably can. You may be able to sue me depending on what it is, but I didn't violate the Constitution. The the Constitution only restricts the actions of government, um, or at least it used to. <laughs> I, uh, I
6: yeah. thought it was interesting that the uh, yeah. the statute 281388 that you quote here. Yeah, uh, I I'm reading it and. Mm-hmm can't get over the fact that it says a portion of that sample. Yeah. Um, what it's, it sounds to me like what it's saying is if medical treatment <laughs> sample of blood is taken, yeah. the government may take a portion of that sample. They can't just come along, oh, the cap's open, let me just plug my own. Yeah. Blood. Let me get well, it, it, That's it, the, not that sample, it's uh, a different sample now.
1: But yeah, and <laughs> the, the, the concept is, you know, if there's leftover blood, right. the cops can get the leftover blood. The problem is the cops don't want the leftover blood because right. they, they have to have the blood in their law enforcement approved test tubes or it screws up the testing. Right. It also screws up chain of custody. You know, if, well, where did this go? I don't know. Ed headed the lab and he put it in the centrifuge and then he went on break. What, did anyone watch it when it, no? You know, we think maybe, you know, Nurse Helga came through. Well, what yeah. I had a, and, yeah. And, and chain of custody matters because if you can't prove it's, you know, if you can't prove it's the guy's blood, then it doesn't. I had a, a yeah, urinal. Another motion. Yeah, exactly. I, I had a urinal case as a prosecutor when I was doing, um, uh, it was a prosecuting a, a case. That the military is the only jurisdiction that prosecutes for use of illegal drugs. every Other jurisdiction prosecute for possession, you know, or, or sale or distribution or having to get in your system when you're driving. But the military will, will prosecute you just for having a positive drug test. And so um, it was what we called a neck of your analysis case. All we had was a positive drug test and you try to come up with other stuff. So chain of custody is obviously a big deal. And, and so it's like, well, what did this airman do? What, the airman did this with the sample, then he handed it to this airman. Okay, well then what did he do after that? Did he put it in a secure seal and mail it to the lab? No, he handed it to this guy who didn't put it in. I'm like, well then, did that guy at least put it in the mailbox? No, someone else put it in the mail. I'm like, well, you know, at, at some point, you know, so you got like eight chain of custody witnesses that you have to call in this trial, and I'm like, uh, I was like, well, why didn't they just take it to the University of Arizona basketball game and pass it around for a while? <laughs> you know, because I, I was getting kind of frustrated. I was like, okay, we're going to have some training. And we're going to eliminate some of these people out of the chain of custody because we're not going to have eight witnesses every time we have to do a drug case. Um, they can go on leave. They can get deployed. You know, all kinds of things can happen. But again, back to when you're—I think it's important to, to make findings, of fact, and conclusions of law some way because um, it, it is going to be frustrating. To the um, the defense attorney, and also you have to. The, the prosecutor doesn't really have clients. The prosecutor has uh, police that they have to work with, that they have to explain um, things to, and they they have often they have victims that they have to work with and explain things to. Uh, defense attorney has a client that he or she has to explain things to, and both of them would like to go back to their client, I think, and say, well. You know, the system is fair. The judge was fair. You know, this worked this way. Um, you know, this is the judge's ruling. I disagree with it, but, you know, and maybe we can appeal it and we'll talk about that. But this is what the judge did. What doesn't work is d- putting them in the position of going back and saying, I don't know what the frick the judge did. You know, I, I, I have no idea. Maybe he was just having a bad day. You know, that, that I don't think works. Yes.
7: If had a motion, it's a hearing, where one of the lawyers is just really bad or lazy and didn't put all the case law and things that you know mm-hmm. and how far do you have to go as far as doing their job?
1: I never try to help
7: not the thing, but you know yeah. what the actual law is and so you know what's <clears throat> actually correct or do you just go straight by the motions? Well, no, I mean,
1: I, I'm, I'm not gonna, if, if an attorney misstates the law, I'm not going to rule for them based on their misstatement of the law. I may not correct them in court, um, but I'm not gonna, you know.
7: What if they just left out one of the more important cases, either side, and you know that there is a case directly on point.
1: If if it's a question of law, then I don't, again, I don't care, I'm not gonna gonna rule about them. I'm not gonna say, well, I guess if I'm feeling really Socratic that day, I might say, well, counsel, what about you know, this case, you know, what about Miranda? Have you heard of that case? It's kind of an important, you know, you know, or, or, or something like that. Uh, but I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm not gonna try to.
6: But you're not gonna rule against a, an attorney um, if, if they're right on the facts, but they just fail to cite the law that, that actually supports their side. Right. And and you're the, gonna punish them for admitting the, the important case.
1: Right, and I think a bigger trap is if you try to help perfect someone's case. Um, and this, an easiest example of this is in civil traffic hearing where, you know, the, the cop is testifying, he, he, he's done us a little bit. Um, are you done? Yeah, you're done. You know, as a civil traffic hearing officer, you can't turn to them and say, did this happen in the jurisdiction of this court? Um, you know, if, if you forgot to say that. Or, it, you can't turn to them and say...
4: How did you identify...
1: Yeah, how, or, yeah or what? You, you can't help the prosecutor, you know, you, you know as... Um, let me try to come up with an easy example. I've seen judges Yeah, you know exactly that, and, and you're not supposed to. You're, <laughs> then you're 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 stepping out of your judicial yeah. role. But if you have, um, I saw a military judge do this one time, and so this is a, a a different example. It's a it's a bad one, but it's an easy one. In the in the in the military, an element of of rape. That the prosecution had to prove was that the the couple wasn't married. Um, That's 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 changed since I was that part of the. That's not an element anymore. But at the time I was on active duty, one of the things the prosecutor had to prove it never really came up that often. um, But there would always be one sort of throwaway question. You know, you're not married to him, are you? No. Well. The you know, the prosecution's getting ready to arrest their case, the victim's testimony's over, there's been direct, cross, you know, redirect, and the judge is sitting there going, oh, they haven't they've missed an element. So the judge turns to the victim and says, You're not married to the accused, are you? No, God. Okay, thank you. At that point, I think the judge has way overstepped his, his his or her role. They perfected the prosecution's case. You can't do that. And even um, you may be sort of rooting for one side, you know, you, 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 you know who you would like to win, maybe in a landlord-tenant case or in a, in a disorderly conduct case because maybe you think this really isn't disorderly, this should, the guy should be, should have been able to wig out at the city council meeting, you know, and you don't think it's a disorderly conduct, you think it's a free speech, you know, issue. And so you're sort of rooting for one side and they screw up some way, you can't help them. You can't help them perfect their facts. Yes?
7: kind of a- the line there is, because yeah. in a bench trial, you're also the your facts. Mm-hmm. And, and any juror has the right to submit questions uh, to the court. And so I think the judge has the right to ask questions, but there's that line, when are you crossing the line on actually, like I said, affecting the case, yeah. or where are you clarifying something which could help one side or the other, but it's still a fair question because you're a finder of fact and you may want to know that. Yeah. Or at least get it in more clear
1: terms. Well, and and when both sides are self-represented, there are lots of examples, and I can't think of a good criminal one right now. In in the landlord-tenant cases, you know, you call yourself as a witness, yeah. Okay, are you, you know, I own the property and he hadn't paid the rent? All right, do you have anything else? No. All right, (coughs) do you have any questions for him? No. All right, well I have some. Is there a lease? May I <laughs> see it? You know, you know I, 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 think that's, I think that's okay, you know, because you, you have to know at least, you know, some kind of... But you're
7: making the case for the, the
1: plaintiff. I, I don't know that I'm making the case for the plaintiff, because the issue is, is non-payment of rent. But no. they
7: don't show that they have the lease.
2: The, you know. It's a valid question, especially if there's a request for a late lease.
1: Well, that plus also I don't know what the relationship between the parties. One of the reasons one of the reasons I always say my, my first finding is always I find that they're in a landlord tenant relationship. A lot of times they're not. This is like an unwanted house guest who won't leave. You know, this is a live in girlfriend, live in boyfriend who won't leave. You know, and they show up on your eviction calendar as an eviction case when it's it's really maybe not.
2: Trust
1: me. Yeah, it's really or you know, I called the... I called the police and they told me to file an eviction, or, or they called me to get an order of protection. Is what they uh, frequently yeah. say. But the uh, order protection cases, um, I will ask the the person about the facts that they alleged in their petition. You know, you are at a hearing on an order protection case. I've got to decide if I should uphold this. I've got to find if there are reasonable grounds to believe that the defendant has or will commit an act of domestic violence. I've got, to know, I've got to have some facts, you know, on that. And you ask, you know, you, you do an opening, you, you ask the, the plaintiff, okay, you, know, you want to call yourself as a witness, and you'll get, he's a horrible man, he's unstable, he's mean, he's drugs, da-da-da, okay, great. Um, do you have any questions for her? No. All right, well, I guess I have some. Uh, in your petition, you said something happened April 5th. What happened? You know. I, I'm, I'm going to ask that because otherwise they don't have any facts. I don't know what...
7: But then again, you're making the case for
1: them. I'm, I'm maybe making the case. But it's care. not a
7: criminal case.
1: But, yeah, well, but... I'm
7: I mean, saying. It's, you're taking one side
1: or the other. Well, I don't know that... No. It's I, 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 to draw. Well, I, I, I wanna, it is difficult, but I want to know what her version of the facts are. <laughs> then I'm going to ask what his version of the facts are. I'm going assume he's going to dispute them. Um, so, but i I got to have something other than he's a horrible drug abuser who's a mean drunk. That doesn't give me anything.
3: Yes? Yeah, I just want to make a couple quick points yeah. b- before we finish up. Um, first, you're either going to rule on the record or do findings <coughs> of fact. Don't do both. Don't <coughs> grant or deny the motion and say, I'm going to do something in writing, because then the appeal might come in before you've, you've written it up, so you've confused matters. So one or the other. And the second thing is there, there actually is a difference between a finding of fact and a conclusion of law. They are looked at differently by our um, by our appellate courts. A finding of fact, um, it, it, that standard of review is whether or not there's substantial evidence in the record to support that finding of fact and oddly enough substantial evidence really means any evidence. And so uh, <laughs> you know it's harder to reverse a finding of fact that's true. A conclusion of law, it's a de novo standard which means the appellate judge um, can decide you're, you applied the wrong case law to it, you're, you're flat out wrong and it like that. So when you're, you're deciding is this a finding of fact or conclusion of law, I- if it can go either way, I would put it under the findings of fact.
1: Yeah. Oh, very, very good points. Thank you. Uh, it's not always fun to be trapped in a room with other lawyers and judges and... Uh They call this the sunroom, I think, because there's no ventilation. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: uh,
1: but in any event, thanks. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you.
3: <laughs> yeah. All very good. No,